Hello, welcome to Observers Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Lizard vs. Monkey. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we talk about games, but in our, you know, true, deep love of all things weird and nerdy, and also, like, in the popular zeitgeist, I guess I would say, uh, we are going to talk about Godzilla vs. Kong. Mostly because I wanted to do it. I pitched this, like, in the episode last week. I was like, oh, are we going to do Kong next week? Um, because because uh, I always have really enjoyed these movies ever since I saw Kong Skull Island in 2017. And uh, and then we did. This is honestly going to probably encompass more than just the movie itself. Yeah, like, it's going to be the whole MonsterVerse. Or, yeah, like the yeah. whole MonsterVerse. I rewatched all of them. So there's the 2014 Godzilla movie, 2017's Kong Skull Island, 2018's Godzilla King of Monsters, and this 2021's Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah, and I, I watched them all for the first time over the course of the weekend, uh, just to get myself caught up on it. Um, and uh, yeah, so so let's uh, do. We want to give all of our kind of all of our kind of one line reviews before the spoiler break. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, sure. And we can like rank them. That's fine. Let's let's do let's do that. I want to know what right. like, your favorite, least favorite are. All right. So we're gonna. I'll. I'll do you want me to go first? Since mm-hmm. uh, all right. So. Starting from the top, uh, the best is definitely Kong Skull Island by like a, a mile, by <laughs> by like, a, like several miles. Um, in second place, I think I'm going to put um, Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong, whatever the the name was, um, because the because uh, the monster fights are good. Um, and uh, third is going to be Godzilla 2014, and then Godzilla King of the Monsters was just, like, the, the dialogue was just so atrocious. So <laughs> atrocious that it has to be last. But, okay, like, that's interesting. I have the exact same ranking order, which I probably okay. wouldn't have if you had asked me just, like, based on memory. But rewatching them all, um, b- boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, you know, top, top of the tier, we've got Kong Skull Island. A, a, a mass, I, I, I want to call it a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. I, I return to it constantly. I am always watching it, and just like on my other screen. It's just like the most effortlessly easy, good, straightforward movie to watch that does the rare blend for any of these kaiju movies really i think the only other one i can think of in sort of like modern memories maybe pacific rim that makes the human drama just as kind of compelling i don't want to say important compelling as the you know like the the monster fight drama if that if that makes sense um then in second place, I have Godzilla vs. Kong, which is reminds me a lot of Warcraft, which is a movie that I think is good but not great because it does this thing where it splits the narrative in half, and half of the narrative is very good, or half of the narrative is good, and the other half sucks, but you just kind of, like, zone that part out and the good stuff really works. And the same thing is true for Kong. Half of this narrative really is terrible. Pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. But, like, it is the B plot, and the A plot works. And it works well, I think. Um, so, not to mention that it is maybe, I actually think Kong Skull Island has better monster fights, pound for pound, but, um, it is also incredibly good in, like, the monster fight, you know, kind of kaiju action territory. Then, 2014 Godzilla, which is a good movie in the worst 
genre, if that makes sense. As a kaiju movie, this movie's very bad. As a Godzilla movie, this movie's very bad, I think. Um, but I actually think that it has the most competent and best filmmaking. But it's kind of like... I don't know. It's kind of like... Uh, it's like making an incredibly gourmet Twinkie or hot dog. You know, like, the point of the hot dog is that it's trashy. Why, why do you need to put truffle oil in the fucking hot dog, right? Um, and in the same way that I would call that a a mis a, a, like a like a a mistake in filmmaking, right? Like applying incorrect filmmaking techniques to the genre that the the film is in. That kind of dissonance makes for a bad film. Also, the human drama is very bad in this one as well. Uh, and then Godzilla: King of Monsters, which I actually remember liking quite a lot in the theater, but I think that was just because I saw it in IMAX, and it was sort of dumb fun. And the monster fights are cool, but like. They are also super dumb and honestly more uninteresting than I remember. There's actually not a lot yeah, going no. on here, so No, I, I would agree that that, that 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 Kong Skull Island has better a better monster fight. I think I think the big thing there is that there's really exactly one, right? And so yeah. like, you know, you know, monster fights by volume like, you know, it, by by volume, maybe there's an argument for Kong Skull Island if that makes sense. Uh, not Kongskull Island for a King of Godzilla, King of Monsters, but I I didn't think they were super. I actually thought that the original Godzilla fight had a couple of better moments. It just was like, uh, it's, I'm going to call it poorly lit, but the, you know, it's not really. It's all CG, right? I so, you know it's, like, it's funny how one of the things that got said about that movie at the time was people compared it to Jaws, right? Because one of the things that made Jaws okay, so. Man, I, I don't know why I'm zooming out this far, but I am. So, like, one of the big stories of the 70s, right, in the new Hollywood, is making the crappy B-movie serials prestigious, right? You have Francis Ford Coppola, who takes the mob movie and makes The Godfather. You have George Lucas, who takes, you know, science fiction Flash Gordon movies and makes... Uh, Star Wars, right? And you have Steven Spielberg who takes essentially, essentially like a monster movie, right? Like that you would see from the 50s or whatever. It makes Jaws. And one of the things that that movie does really well is it hides the shark for almost the entirety of the runtime. And it really only comes in in the climax. And people compared Godzilla 2014 very favorably to that. They were kind of like, you know, like this works really well for that reason. I disagree with that take. But I understand the kind of underlying filmmaking idea i guess that you pack the real true blue full blast monster fight into the final moments right um and there is something powerful about that right and it does actually legitimately work it, even if it is sort of kind of sparse and hollow like one of the things that godzilla 2014 does is put so much weight and emphasis onto godzilla's atomic breath that it is like it literally moving like you're just like oh he's gonna do it he's gonna do the thing right and they do that like charging yeah. sequence up the up his tail and everything like that it doesn't work that well for any of the other movies because he's using the atomic breath all the time you know um but the moderation that, that godzilla 2014 has i think uh w does work well even if you know i would argue that one monster fight is too few for a kaiju movie yeah i i think i generally agree um, but I also think we should, before I, I say more, we should probably move into spoiler territory. Sure. I, I'm sure. not too worried about spoiling Godzilla 2014, but I feel like we should. So, here's a spoiler warning for all those movies. Um, three, two, one, spoilers. 
Um, so I want to say that I think like one of the cool, the, one of the very cool moments in that movie was that last moment where Godzilla like basically like like puts his face like, like breathes down the neck of like the. Uh, the of the Bruno. mosquito monster, I yeah, that. I well, hate that term so much. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's a lot. Like, also, 2014. I think that like Brian Cranston's performance was fucking phenomenal, right? Like, I I wish that they had killed Millie Bobby Brown's character and kept you know uh, fucking Brian Cranston alive because I thought that was fucking great. I thought he was one of the best parts of that movie. Um, yeah, like I remember see, like, that was a big criticism at the time. This was also in the big, like, Breaking Bad heyday when this came out, mm. so Brian Cranston was, like, insanely popular. And he was sort of top-billed in this movie. And then he dies after the first act, and we're following his, like, stupid soldier son, and I was just like, this sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. I, he, is a, he is a bad protagonist, and, like, uninteresting kind of to the core. Um, and I think all of the other characters in that movie, except for maybe Sarazawa are similarly uninteresting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, it was fine. I, I felt kind of the same way about, like, the uh, the A-plot of uh, of Kong versus uh, uh, of GVK. Um, mm-hmm. Like, there was, like, you know, that A-plot was fine. You know, I could, you know, like, live with it. Um but, uh, you know, like, I didn't think it was good, right? Like, I didn't think any of it was, like, super compelling. Like, I didn't I didn't find, like, you know, little girl signs at Monkey to be, like, you know, I was like, okay, fine, we're doing this, whatever. And, you know, and it got out of the way in time for, like, Godzilla to punch Kong, as opposed to the Millie Bobby Brown B-plot, which was just kind of like, Jesus, fuck, just get away from this as fast as possible. Yeah, the worst get part about it is that it was memes. pretty clear that they were doing mecha. This is a trailer thing. Like, this is like a... You know how I, something I've always said about Batman v Superman is that they spoiled Doomsday in the trailers and that was a mistake. Spoiling Mechagodzilla in the trailer was a mistake because you know from the first, anyone with a brain can see the setup that happens in the first act and like you see the eye or whatever and you go, oh, that's a piece of Mechagodzilla because he's in the fucking trailers, right? I mean, not even really in the trailers, but you see the you see the big thing rise out of the, oh, yeah. and it's like obvi- like what else could that fucking be, right? And so there was no real mystery or intrigue to it. I was never like, oh, are they gonna do? Oh, are they gonna do Mechagodzilla? No, it's like obviously they're gonna do fucking Mechagodzilla, and they're gonna sit here and like draw this out for you know thirty minutes of combined screen time over over this two hour movie for just. Uh, like tension that I couldn't even care about. The most interesting piece of that, by the way, is the guy, the Asian pilot, was named Sarazawa, which like is that Sarazawa's son from the first two Godzilla movies? Sarazawa being the guy, the let them fight guy, and mm. the guy who dies um, in the second movie. Like, is that his son? Because that would be neat. Also, what happened to Charles Dance? What happened to Charles Dance? I want to know. <laughs> who's who's Charles Dance? He's the bad guy. So the bad guy of the um, Godzilla King of Monsters. Oh, oh, oh the the eco terrorist guy. The eco terrorist. He just gets left in the bunker, which in the movie I thought was dumb, and I was like, well, that's just like a a hanging plot thread. That's very stupid. And then in the, and the but then there's an after credit sequence where he buys the Ghidorah, Ghidorah head, head that Godzilla that Godzilla rips off, right? And that Ghidorah head is what we see. As like part of the Mecha Godzilla, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I the- like, theoretically, it could be it could be a different one, right? Like if 
if Charles Dance wants to come back and be like, no, th- there's three there's three Ghidorah heads, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I just like I was like, why can't we? Oh, four, I guess. You know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Why can't we have? Why can't we have him? He was at least compelling. Why can't we have nice things? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why can't we have nice things? Even if that whole movie was super dumb, and yeah. uh, and everything, it, like at least he was Charles Dance and was mean and had brought that like Charles Dance gravitas. But yeah, so like yeah. that was a weird thing for me. It was I was just like, it seems like the core thing here is this stuff with Sarazawa's son, and he was sitting, and then he was like, oh, it's not ready. But then he goes anyway, and he dies, and they mentioned his name like once or twice and i was just like this is a real blink and you miss it kind of thing (laughs) yeah chad is confirming that it's his son i actually thought it might have been the asian kid from the first godzilla from 2014 the one that like the soldier guy saves which is clearly not but i was like is is that who that is supposed to be right like um also there are two different older black actors in godzilla king of monsters and um, what's the end and this movie and, and GVK and I'm trying I kept trying to figure out which one is supposed to be the guy from Kong Skull Island because like it's not super like you know it could be whoever right like it's not, oh, not like wait. it matters I'm, I'm sorry was oh, that's interesting I didn't think about that was there one I'm pretty who's sure... supposed to be I don't think he's supposed to be the one I like so because I was watching the order the guy who there's a guy watching over Mothra that I thought might supposed to be but I think there's an actor who looks more closely like his counterpart in Kongsville Island, in the, like there's a there's a scientist in this movie that I think is supposed to be the age. The guy, so Lance Reddick, the guy that was hanging out with uh, Millie Bobby Brown's dad. Yeah, yeah, I think okay, so. He is not. Yeah. I, I just I remember the guy in Kongsville Island is named Brooks. This that guy is named Goolerman, so it's definitely not him. But okay. I wonder if that was a. I, I think the guy. That, you know, we've obviously talked about how um, we. We think that that Skull Island is the best of these, it, and it does sort of bug me that like it is not the centerpiece here. You know, it's sort of like it kind of feels like it is orienting the movies around the wrong person. I guess I would say. Do you know what I mean? Like the the least interesting movies are the ones that are getting center stage. Yeah, I mean. It's... Oh, it is the same guy! Wow, that's an amazing... Okay, so there's another scientist guy in Godzilla King of Monsters who's played by Joe Morton, who's Cyborg's dad in... in yeah, Godzilla, okay, yeah, that actor was supposed to be him. the same yeah. Dr. Brooks that escapes Kong Skull Island. That is okay. insane. That is... What a catch, Manga. Well done. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, like, you know, I, I was I was looking... Because I was looking for an age... Like, the aged-up characters, because that would make sense. Because there's not a lot of... There's not a lot of crossover from Kong Skull Island besides Kong, right? Like... Yeah, um, there's also a teaser at the end of Kong Skull Island that uh, Monarch recruits Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston's characters. Um, right. Mason and Conrad. And that that doesn't do anything or go anywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, who, who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll get them at some point. Or maybe we'll get, like, another, like you know, 70s, 80s era Kong movie, because that would be good. Um, Yeah, this is, that was my thing with the Kong, like, the funny thing about Kong Skull Island is I actually watched this for the first time when Logan came out. Logan came out, and we went and saw Logan together, like me and a couple of friends and Rachel and everything, and then we stayed and watched Kong Skull Island, just because it, it was playing, it was right there, we wanted to. So... Kong Skull Island 
like I saw it maybe it was like midnight. It was like on a Tuesday, you know what I mean? Like it was it was very random. Um but it was so good and I and I really appreciated and like I really appreciated it. And it has taken me a while to sort of like articulate why, but part of it is just like how effortless all the characterization is, right? Like there's so many characters in these movies or whatever but Kong Skull Island has this gigantic ensemble cast by the way we uh, no nobody goes through a character arc it is you know no one is really the protagonist of that movie right um but they all have really like clear deep characterization where like you could name one of them and we would we would immediately be like oh that's oh i i remember and you could I, we could like talk about their character traits even of the different soldiers right they all have unique individual characterization and then i look at like you know godzilla king of monsters the original godzilla any of these they fail to characterize one or two characters who have the core central narrative who have like our like the hour of runtime where they're on screen and like maybe the most well-developed character is the mom in godzilla king of monsters just because she gets to sit and monologue her motivations to the camera yeah. as part of a, a limp wristed plot twist like <clears throat> yeah yeah no i i absolutely agree um also like i don't know i i feel i feel like they tried to marvelize this these movies too much like like, like, it really hit me in Godzilla King of Monsters, right? Like, you know, like, that fucking Chinese fortune cookie joke, like, fucking, I, I like, I, I was it. so mad. I was so mad about that. I, like, I knew was, you were going to say that. The, like, I forgot about the that worst joke, moment. when it came on screen, I was like, this is, this is going to destroy Mango. He's going to be so mad about this. This is like, it's like the worst moment I've, like, it's the worst one of these I've ever seen. It's like the worst, it's one of the worst moments in film. Like, like, talk about just, like, completely undercutting any emotional impact at all. Like Jesus Christ! Oh, no, it, it was, it, it was just so obnoxious. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It just it bothered me so much. And like, I was glad that they kind of like put that all to the like in Godzilla versus Kong. There's like a moment, right? Like there's like a cup, or rather, it's all shoved, shoved to the Millie Bobby Brown stuff, and I can like effectively ignore it. Like you could, I could just like cut that out of the movie. I think the movie would be pretty great, right? Like, I don't think it even needs to be in the movie to, 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 to work. Like, there's, like, one plot impact full point, and that's basically it, right? Like, you mean, like, you know, the entire podcast section B-plot, or just, like, the... the... the yeah, the entire podcast section B-plot. <clears throat> okay. like, yeah, see, you I, could... I felt like I wanted them... See, the way it seemed to be billed is that in the same way that... I think her name is Gia. Um, it's sort of the Kong Whisperer, right? That Millie Bobby Brown would have some sort of relationship with Godzilla and be able to sort of steer and like pilot him in a way. So, it, which I guess would kind of create this like almost like Pokemon feel to it, right? Like, you know, Millie Bobby Brown versus uh, versus Gia throwing their kaiju at one another or whatever. But, like, they completely failed to create any sort of connection between her and Godzilla. Like, she was all wrapped up in this Apex Industry Mecha Godzilla crap that it was just sort of like, why would... Like, it, it, it made Godzilla basically a force of nature, whereas Kong got to be, as the chat point outs, a real protagonist, right? 
Like yeah. Kong gets not only not only does he get characterization, but he gets like emotional, you know, moments. He gets empathy. He gets a character arc, you know, um, and he really gets to sort of like be the be the. It is Kong's movie more than it is Godzilla movie. Yeah, no, I I, I absolutely agree. Um, what else? Like, there was also just like a lot of drop balls, right? Like, like the the whole like telepathically controlling the the Mecha Godzilla thing. I thought they were going to do something interesting with that, but they mm. didn't. They just had it like fail, and like it could th- like you know like that feels like it was the movie was getting too long it would take too long to ex- explain what was happening or something. Like, I could see something in there, like you know, either. Millie Bobby Brown has to stick her head in there because, like, that's, like, her equivalent of, like, understanding Godzilla. It's, like, she can, like, control the Mechagodzilla or something, but it all got cut or whatever. Or, like, you know, the, like they needed a way that, like, the solution wasn't just, like, shoot the guy in the chair, right? Like, for, for yeah. some reason. I'm reading in the chat, by the way, that uh, that this complaint is due to property rights. Uh, they aren't permitted to make Godzilla as anything more than a force of nature. Kong was American IP, so they could characterize him. Which is honestly fair enough. I actually did not know that yeah. about about the the way the property rights work. Which is kind of interesting, too, because, like, one of the, one of the things that goes into this is people choosing side, right? I was, I was a Kong person because I liked Kong Skull Island and I never really had a connection to Godzilla but like you know I have a lot of friends who like grew up with the Godzilla movies so they were they were on the side of Godzilla and I was on the side of Kong we kind of like playfully you know sort of like debate whatever and I do enjoy that this movie has a clear winner right it does not do the the thing of where you have a versus movie but they like kind of like kind of like pussyfoot around who actually wins right so in the same sort of way that like like batman versus superman did this right like batman clearly wins the him versus superman duel um and godzilla clearly wins the him versus kong duel but then they introduce a third character right so the other person can have some bragging rights right godzilla gets trashed by mechagodzilla and it is kong who defeats mechagodzilla in the same way that it is superman who defeats doomsday i think that that kind of construction for a plot is fine but it's sort of interesting that the movie is so focused on kong and is so in tune with his like emotional state and it wants you to care deeply about you know like his returning to the hollow earth and you know finding out what happened to his like family and finding a home for himself and everything and then get have kong get beaten you know in the the sort of you know three ring fight of kaiju pro wrestling or whatever yeah, so that's, that's that's actually a good jumping off point because I think like like there were a couple moments in this in this movie that I, w- I wasn't sure if they were supposed to be as direct as they were, but like the like a lot of like the the big kaiju fight feels like pro wrestling in a way that like other movies don't necessarily feel this way, right? Like like when they double team Mechagodzilla and like put his head through a building, or like there's a couple of like there's a couple of moments that feel like <laughs> somebody just reproducing their favorite moments from a WWE fight. Um, in a way I that, see, like, I think I, that that's good, right? And I think that yeah, that no, was, like, one of the things that I think this movie is, is better at than the other two Godzilla movies um, is it does the push and pull of a fight very well, right? Where you can kind mm-hmm. of see who has the advantage, who has the initiative, right? And who doesn't. And also, you can see, like, real tactics at play. Like, Godzilla fights with a kind of raw brutality, right? Like, he is just power if that makes sense whereas kong it's sort of a technician like kong is constantly outsmarting godzilla right and kind of making decisions to mitigate the power he is up against whereas godzilla is just like he's just he's just bringing it and he's gonna like crush you if you give him a moment it's kind of the difference between like um 
you know, like in a fighting game, you have like the slow, heavy characters, like like Astaroth in the in the Soul Calibur series. I don't know what a good like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat example might be. Well, it's, it's like the, the grapplers are, are built to kind of like move through things and getting close. And once they get close to you, you know, if you get grappled, you're fucked. Whereas, yeah, and then like, there are very like quick characters, right? Yeah, who are um, who are more like technically complex and that's sort of where where kong was like kong i think does more cool stuff pound for pound but it's kind of because he is mostly like count he he has to you can tell kong has to outthink right, right whereas godzilla yeah. just has to nuke breath <laughs> yeah. yeah godzilla gets or not godzilla kong gets his his axe right like he gets he gets a, yeah. you know he gets to use that primate that primate tool using stuff i um, love that i mean and i love it also because like one of the graced greatest moments in kong uh skull island is where he picks up the tree and he does the he does the hand thing and uh and he smacks the skull crawler across the head with it so like i i think the part of kong's sort of you know like ability you know you know how they used to have like those fight cards where you'd be like oh his special move is whatever or whatever like i one of kong's things being thumbs as chat points yeah. out, I think is I think is is honestly like pretty cool and interesting. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. Um, something something else I wanted to to talk about um, in is uh, in, in kind of the the realm of like things that are supposed to resemble other things. Um, I'm pretty sure the Apex Lab was was like su supposed to, intentionally supposed to be an homage homage to the Death Star from A New Hope. Like, there's a lot well, of like the I don't know if you it, like it. Just like screamed at me because like they they pop their head when they when they exit in the Hong Kong lab, right? Um, they pop their heads out and there's like literally two guards walking past, like the stormtroopers walk past, and you they like they're like pop their heads out of the the vent thing. Like I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be intentional or not, but the more I think about it, the more I think I, I think that's true. Did, did you pick up on that at all? I did not pick up on that at all, but I think I agree. One of the big things I, I thought about was how much Pacific Rim has really influenced these movies. Um, that's definitely which true. is funny because. It came out, so Pacific Rim comes out in 2013, and the 2014 Godzilla comes out in 2014, obviously, right? So they are filmed too, too close to one another, and in a certain sense, you could almost make an argument that they were trying to create sort of rival takes on what a kaiju movie kind right. of like looks like, because they're being filmed at more or less the same time. And they don't get to use one another as a sounding board. Which I thought was interesting because clearly Pacific Rim wins, right? Godzilla King of Monsters and Godzilla vs. Kong both visually re remind me of Pacific Rim much more than they do of the 2014 Godzilla. Whereas Kong Skull Island kind of lives in its own world because it doesn't do the urban... Like, really, I'm talking about, like, the urban stuff, the neon lights, the the night yeah. stuff, right? Like, one of the things they do in Pacific Rim that I think is smart, by the way, and it's also part of what I like about, you know, Zack Snyder movies doing these fights at night. Doing these fights at night means you can have really high contrast because you're surrounded by black, um, which is good when you can create those lights, right? When you can really rely on the lights. Um, whereas, uh, and Kong Skull Island can't do that because it's in... It's on Skull so, Island. It's not in. It's not in an urban center. But in 2014 Godzilla, they do it at night, but they don't have that kind of urban. They don't really have that light, which is why yeah. I think it's like too dark. Um, yeah. And kind of almost hard to you know, like hard to follow or. It's very hard to see. Like it's like like I I turned off my lights and closed my doors so I could get like better contrast on the screen. It still wasn't good enough. 
Yeah, not to mention that, like, the Mudos themselves are gray. All of the buildings are gray. Godzilla is gray. So it's just like, you know... Well, the other thing is, like, the Mudos power is in EMPs, and it turns off all the lights, right? Like, you know... um, So you don't even get, like, the city lights. Um, There's there's a couple of, like, weird mixed things in there that I want to get to. One, like, I'm pretty sure it's the same... it's either the same studio or it's the same group. It's, I, I I was reading about this that did Godzilla, King of Monsters, and um, and Pacific Rim Uprising, um, uh, which I thought was funny because they're both terrible. Um, and uh, the other thing that's interesting here is that the guy who does the cinematography for Conco Skull Island, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal, is Larry Fong, who is the same person who did Batman vs. Superman, Watchmen, and 300. Correct, um, <laughs> my boy and, Larry. Yeah, uh, but the the other thing that I think is 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 like because I thought the lens flares in fucking this movie in GVK were so horrendous as to be distracting. Like I just thought the like a lot of the blue CG in the Hollow Earth just like hit me wrong in a lot of ways. But the blue lens flares were terrible, and that's the guy from fucking Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. So he must have learned <laughs> like you know like all like the lens flare memes, right? Like. Yeah, I think Larry Fong is an exceptionally good cinematographer, and he basically turns everything he does to gold. Um, but that is mostly just these Zack Snyder movies, right? Like he did, yeah. you know, like you said, Watchmen, BVK or BVS, um, three hundred. Uh, but you can definitely see that like Kong Skull Island has that same sort of flair, right? Something that uh, something that's like a, a trademark, I would almost say, of like these Snyder movies is slow motion close ups of. It, like like inserts um so you know like a like a like an object most of the time directors use that for like a narrative person per like reason right like you need to see something important um but these guys just use it stylistically right like there's the there's the part where um the the helicopters are doing their 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 taking off they're going through the storm and then they eventually find kong and crash and you keep getting those close-ups of the bobblehead right and there's nothing narratively important about the bobblehead but it's just like kind of this moment of like breather that you can kind of like ping back to right like when they're taking off the bobblehead is just bobbling normally when it's in the storm it's going absolutely crazy when that helicopter is going down you're not actually following the helicopter you're following the bobblehead as the helicopter is crashing through like the trees and i just like that's the stuff i like i love that stuff right or like there's the moment in where in uh conk skull island where they're dropping the seismic charges and you're seeing the reflection of it in the dude's aviator sunglasses right like those are the shots that i'm just like "Mm." (laughs) yeah no Skull Island has, has has a ton of these. So I, I I didn't I you know my brother watched actually Skull Island separate from me, um the same night that I did and then we watched G, um G, GVK together and he's obviously more in tune with this the cinema, cinematography stuff and so he was pointing he was he was telling me um some stuff like um like apparently he was he was doing some reading on it and like the kind of touch point for Kong Skull Island was Apocalypse now. Like, it was, like, you know, like, that was, like, the main reference, which makes total sense, yep. right? Like, you know, because um, it is, like, I, I said it in this in a, in a chat room, it's, like, the namest movie that isn't actually about Vietnam Vietnam directly, right? Like, but it's about the Echoes of it, I, I guess. Um, but, I mean, in some way. But, like, 
there's just there's so many good moments, right? Like, um, like down the barrel of the guns a couple different times. Um, you know, like the helicopter crash sequences are, are fucking fantastic. Kong, like, like there's like a sunset with Kong and like helicopter. Yeah, Kong in it framed just, in the sunset. That was the yeah. iconic thing, right? Like in all of, yeah. all of the trailers, um, which was huge at the time because like. Kong had never been that big before, which like makes sense in retrospect because obviously we knew this was going to a Godzilla versus Kong movie and he has to be that size. But the biggest King Kongs that we see were really not that big, right? Like he's two or three stories, whereas like Godzilla is like 30 stories, right? Um, So him standing in like the jungle framed by that sunset was like a very, very uh, kind of iconic image. You also have like the speed ramping that I really loved. Like there's the shot where all of the helicopters are spinning around Kong and as you see each helicopter, it pauses just for just for a second and then kind of like keeps going. And I just like that stuff I think is good. I just think it is good dynamic filmmaking that's a lot of fun and uh, and very interesting. It's also a movie where you could tell like they really loved the concept art. This is something I really enjoy about um, and something I really enjoy about uh, like Zack Snyder movies is he's very in love with concept art and storyboards. Um, like, he storyboards all of his movies by hand, right? He does all of the um, all of the storyboards and everything like that. So they, the movie is sort of conceived on a visual level before it is conceived on any other level, if that makes sense. And there's a lot of movies in Kong Skull Island that are reminiscent of that, right? Like, there's the, um, the green mist in, like, the Triceratops graveyard where... Uh, Tom Hiddleston, Conrad, puts on the gas mask and has the samurai sword, and he's cutting up the birds, right? Like, that, there's a piece of concept art called Gas Mask Samurai, which they just basically recreated in in the scene itself, right? Um, Or even small things, like the birds pulling the guy up into the air and framing him against the sky as they are, because they have these, like, knife heads, as they are cutting him up or whatever it's just like those are just like really great visual um i don't know tableaus almost i guess i want to say yeah 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 no i I think the real big thing about the 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 thing that catapults kong scholar for me is the is the the like the world building but 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 really just sort of like the the sense of an ecosystem you get right because so many of these creatures that they run into the bamboo leg spider the water buffalo like that giant water buffalo submerged in the thing the log bug i love the log bug the log bug is the thing that made me freak out when i saw this movie rachel and i both were just like oh my god that is so cool right um yeah i feel like it was also kind of I, I agree, but I feel it's also kind of undermined by, like, the kind of whole Godzilla, like, you know, like, and then these, these Titans are, like, a whole different thing that there's, like, you know, 37 of them countably, right? Like, uh, like I, I think, I don't think it's totally, you know, uh, a problem, but I I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought that, like, kind of, like, the, you know, Skull Island is, like, a, a land of Titans is kind of undercut by that a little bit, at least. Um, yeah, uh, I think in a certain sense, I almost want Kong Skull Island to live in a different, like, cinematic universe than all this Godzilla stuff. Like, one, one of the things I do love about Godzilla King of Monsters is showing some of these other titans. Like, I really like the the mammoth titan they show. There's, like, a big... And it's kind of like a gorilla, almost. He's, he's sort of leaning over, and he has these, like, long arms. But he has these big, long tusks. Um, they show him for a moment. They show this spider with, like, tentacles or whatever. And it's like... You know, like, I appreciate the reference to, like, Mothra and Rodan and everything, but one of the things that I feel like Kong Skull, or that um, Godzilla King of Monsters failed at was showing me, like, 
new, interesting, kind of compelling uh, monster stuff rather than just like remixes of some of these classics. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Even the yeah. Mudos were like that, right? Like the dynamic between the flying Mudo and the ground Mudo. I mean, I hate that. I, I still hate that word. I like the EMP that they do. I think that that's cool and clever, right? But. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I would say like the, the skull crawlers or whatever they're called are like just kind of like. Like they're, they're like decent as like a bad guy villain, but they're like, they're nothing special, right? It's like weird, scully things. Whatever. Yep. Basically I think the, I think the, the compelling thing about um, the skull crawler and the fight scene is sort of the, the writing around them, right? Like, so one of the mm. things that that movie is good at is it breaks the ensemble into four pieces. And in any other movie, those... Well, so one of the pieces is Chapman, who is the... Um, Who's like the major he's like the the colonel second in command he's and he's dad. the one that finds the log bug he's the one that has dear billy he's like a good nice guy you know you get the sense that he is uh he's not a hard ass he's not a jerk he's just mild-mannered and humble and a good guy that wants to get home to you know to his son and he's the one that sort of like discovers the human not humanity but like the gentleness of the animals right um he shoots the log bug at first, but then when he hears it kind of cry, he stops and realizes that, like, oh, this thing is not out to hurt me, right? And he watches Kong kill the squid, but, like, not out of, like, menace, just because the squid, like, the squid attacks him and then he, and then he eats it, right? Um, and in any other movie, and at the time I remember thinking, oh, he's going to be the one to me and, and also the the narrative is framed around finding chapman so that you can get to the sea stallion so you can get all the explosives on the sea stallion to blow up kong right um this is what colonel packard wants to do because he's a bad guy who wants to kill kong and in any other movie when they found chapman he would be like no these are gentle creatures don't hurt them they're they're bad maybe like he has to kill packard or whatever but in this movie he dies yeah, and they brutally murder him. Yeah, they brutally murder him as he is the one that is finding out that the island is actually not that bad. It's just kind of a habitat with a bunch of people. He turns around and he gets fucking eaten by a skull crawler, right? Um, or like the the, the detail of um, of the skull crawlers killing, um, you know, killing Kong's parents, killing. Oh God, what's John C. Riley's character's name? Uh, I forget who's also great in that movie, by the way. But, uh, yeah. like, his, his, you know, like, you have this sort of off-screen menace. You have the whole fight with them, like, that gas mask samurai fight or whatever, where they're in the graveyard with, like, the gas pockets. Um, and they're fighting the skull crawler, and the skull crawler eats John Goodman's Landa with the, with the, the camera inside. So you're just getting these, like, flashes, flashes or whatever. Like, yeah. there's a lot of writing horror that went into making the skull crawlers, um an interesting and kind of compelling threat that is not just they can do things right like they have certain abilities or whatever yeah no i yeah no i i like like they are because they don't have any of that right they're just kind of like yeah. you know vicious killers right like you know there's um but yeah no i i, I absolutely agree with you I, I will say though that like even though the, the gas max samurai scene was cool uh it did seem kind of forced to me um, oh really well, because like, like it's not his sword, right? Like it's it's, it's drawn, like you know, he, he clearly is, like I was like, why is he calling for the sword? Why is he grabbing the sword? It's like, oh, so we could have this cool moment, right? But it's, it's I don't think it's like narratively supported super well. But I don't think that's the end of the world. Uh, yeah. Okay. Really. Yeah, I I would agree with that. <laughs> that is just rule of cool, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they wanted to they wanted to 
to do a cool to do a cool thing with a guy you know slashing these these birds against that especially against that green gas right yeah um i feel like that's yeah. what really makes that that like moment pop but i think that the the human drama in skull island is is so good because like it is a like maybe just because they don't have access to all the craziness of like aircraft carriers and jets I was like a lot less interested in any of the um, uh, like the jets or like the Argo and Kong's er, and Godzilla King of Monsters, right? They have that big giant airship or whatever. Or anytime like Godzilla is like sort of in conflict with um, human forces at all, or the Mudos for that matter. Like I just thought that that was like not interesting or or compelling content uh and i don't really have a good reason for why that's the case it just sort of is the is like the the default way that i that i felt which is interesting because like i like other movies where these sorts of you know human forces are pitted against the titans um or against like kaiju or whatever like i do think that there's something compelling about that idea uh but it just didn't work in any of the three afterwards right yeah, I mean, it's because it's like I think it's because they're like so ineffective, right? Like, like Packard is actually a threat to Kong, in a way that no other human character is, right? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, Kong leads, right? I, I guess actually the human yeah. helicopters versus Kong is an example of this. That I don't think of it as that, but it is an example of this, and it works because Kong bleeds, right? He grabs yeah. one of the helicopters and it cuts his hand, right? And he also gets a big cut on his um. On, on his, his arm. arm or whatever. But, like, Godzilla gets hit by, like, a million of these missiles in these movies and never feels one. Actually, that's yeah. not true. Except for the or except for Mechagodzilla, which I had a moment where I was like, this is this is kind of ridiculous. Because we watch him shrug off missile attacks constantly, but then Mechagodzilla hits him with a bunch of missiles and all of a sudden it's, like, the most powerful attack in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was willing to let some of that go because, like, you know, it's like, well, it's an anti-Godzilla weapon. Like, it'll work that way or whatever. But, like, sure. I don't know. Um, if we want to get into, like, those things, like, you know, Godzilla breathing to the center of the Earth, and, like, you know... That is the single dumbest plot point in this whole movie. <laughs> yeah, and, like, fuck it, like, you know, this this is, like, verges on nitpicky, but it's, like, you know, and then Godzilla climbs out, of, or not Godzilla, King Kong climbs out of his, like, that's, you know how far that is? That's, like, that is so fucking far. Like, there's no way, no way that, it, like, that that, yeah, that, that works. Yeah, not that like there are these clearly very like the, the teleporter pocket things right that they go through which they mention in King of Monsters but they only actually do here um, and it's like that doesn't make any sense to me none of this like makes any they fucking downloaded the power or something right it's like I'm sure that there's like some throwaway line that makes that not stupid or like a little bit less stupid but it was just so dumb so dumb there was oh man you know what the dumbest line in this movie was that like pissed me off so much what is, is that? when it's, it's when the, the our, our fucking conspiracy theorist guy says it's some sort of robo godzilla and then the the new zealander kid says no that's mecha godzilla as if that's like meaningful or like it's it's like only a thing that makes sense because the audience recognizes what mecha godzilla is and it's not even a, like a clever usage of the liner it's just like, oh Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad. I was just like, what? Like, oh. 
Oh, this stuff bothers me so much. But yeah. Yeah, I am um, now looking up what the deepest holes in the in the earth that have ever been dug are. Um, it does. It does. Like, because you know, like, like I think the crust is like a couple miles deep, right? Like it's like yeah. the Cola super deep borehole, which was <laughs> mined. Drilled in Russia. You know what this reminds me of? Do you, have you ever seen the uh, the thing of Ben Affleck in Indep- or not Independence Day, Armageddon? There's a, there's like a clip of him on the director's commentary where he talks about how stupid the premise of Armageddon is. On the director's commentary of Armageddon. He's like, on the commentary track for Armageddon, he's talking about this. Um, anyway, uh, it looks like seven miles... So, oh, wait, this is actually not the deepest. Okay, so this one went 7.6 miles in 1989, which and the whole project was built to just see how far into the crust you can drill. <laughs> <laughs> just like, fucking Russians, right? Um, and then this got surpassed in 2008 by an oil well that is also 7.6 miles, but just a little bit longer, I guess. Who knew? Yeah, yeah he no. drilled a whole gi- Godzilla atomic breathed a gigantic hole in the crust that just also happened to like end at the floor of kong's like throne room or whatever like he just happened to aim that so perfectly that it came up right next to kong's foot basically yeah yeah it's not only that but like this like this whole hollow earth thing like i get they've been doing it for like four movies now but it's just kind of like Okay, I guess we're doing this then, right? Like, I, you I know, it's... it's not even in Godzilla. Like the 2014 Godzilla, the 2014 Godzilla takes its premise very seriously. Like, it no, is I think, I think, I think it is. If... I think it is in 2014 Godzilla, like very minorly. Like, I think it's like how he gets places without people knowing where he is. I thought it was oh, mentioned okay. at least, but it's okay, not maybe. so much Hollow Earth as is like tunnels or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Also, is is the is the the hyper like shipping from wherever to Hong Kong supposed to be through a Hollow Earth tunnel? I have no idea. I also I hate this because that doesn't make sense. But like, how else would they do it? I'm frustrated by another piece of this, which is the conspiracy narrative. I have a lot less patience for these conspiracy narratives in the world of QAnon than I did. 10 years ago like yeah i mean sure elon musk tweeted like this is a conspiracy theorist wet dream and it's kind of is true right like they paint one of these guys with like a conspiracy podcast as like the this lovable buffoon and they like jokingly refer to like drinking bleach which was a real conspiracy that has killed people right yeah, I mean, it's, it's also, like, its own separate thing, right? Like, there's also, like... Like, the Hollow Earth is, like, a real conspiracy. Um, apparently, it, like, a, a Nazi one, which I was not aware of, but I know there's, like, a normal... I was like also normal... not aware of this. Yeah, Aryans come from the Hollow Earth. See, I, I know the connection between Flat Earth and, uh, like, as a conspiracy theory and some of this stuff. Like, Flat Earth and QAnon have a lot of, uh, have a lot of interaction. Yeah, overlap. Um, there, and a lot I, I... of Flat Earthers became QAnon people. But yeah, like I think there's like a normal Hollow Earth theory too, right? Like I mean, yeah. like this this goes back to like you know Lost World stuff. Um, although Crichton's a little bit weird. Um, 
there's also like the have there's like the I think it's a joke, but the uh, the former flat Earth theory have have you heard of this, which no, is like Earth used to be a flat, and then it got hit by a meteor, and that caused the Earth to fold around it, so that's what made it a globe, or and it's a, it's also a hollow Earth theory. So like the Earth is like a disc folded around a meteor. I like I think this is like a a joke one that someone made up online, wow. but uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, there's a great documentary, I w- which is a YouTube video, but I want to call it a documentary. It's like an hour long. Um, uh, called In Search of a Flat Earth by uh, Foldable Human Dan Olson, uh, where he where he kind of goes into the, like, the, n- not even the mindset, but sort of like the, like the roots of like Flat Earth as a, cons- as a conspiracy theory, and then also demonstrates how those got transferred to QAnon when QAnon kind of cropped up in 2017. Um, and, like, it is just very hard for me to, like, take any of these sorts of, like, conspiracy theories at face value anymore because they... I don't Like, in, in a world where we don't have those kinds of problems, I don't think I mind it, but in a world where QAnon was a real thing that caused real, you know, like, real damage... It is a real thing, right? Like... Yeah, it is. It continues to be a real thing, right? Uh, I just like have a lot less, and it, it doesn't also distance themselves. You know, like I like I don't I don't mind. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't mind other aspects that we would we would maybe like call negative, right? Like people get really mad at military stuff in movies. I think that's kind of like fine as long as it is su- sort of suitably distanced, right? right? Like we're not talking about going door to door in Fallujah, right? We're talking about aircraft carriers with jets shooting missiles at Rodan, right? Like, that is sufficiently kind of fantastical enough that I can kind of remove it from, like, what the real-world military and any other sorts of claims you want to make about that. But it was really the bleach joke that got me, where I was just, like, too, too, too real, too soon, guys, (laughs) like... Yep, yep. So I thought that was, like, a more base kind of, like, just drink bleach joke, which is, like, kind of crass, but, like, also a thing... But yeah, no, I, I I get that, I get that. Um, is it is it? Wait, what what is like a more? So like the, the like, one I'm that... the one I'm more familiar with is like is like an like an insult like drink bleach right like it's like a I don't know most famously like a Chris Reagan thing right like you know like you know like he it was like part of his brand for a while. Um, okay. Uh, but like you know that's like a like a thing just you know like and th- that's the spirit I took it in kind of like you know like because that's the joke like he showers the bleach instead of like drinking bleach right he's like he should drink bleach right like is, is what the line was I think um but you yeah, know I, I I get that it is also kind of like oh this I movie's... see what you're saying yeah, this movie yeah I just mean different... that like that they that is a plot point that they track him down because he consumes a large amount of uh, of bleach and then he says because he drinks bleach and she's like no as if that might be a serious thing that that he did. Yeah, like, I mean, that so was so that, so uh, supposedly a you know, yeah, uh, beyond, a coronavirus cure. Well, so so beyond like beyond like before that, right? Like, there's actually an internet common etiquette video about this. Like, this is like a thing that people have done for a long time. You like dilute bleach and you drink like you drink it, and that's not lethal, but it's not good for you, right? Um, there's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole thing there. I also don't know if like the injecting bleach thing with like I don't, I don't want to go into debunking coronavirus <laughs> cure conspiracies. You know what? Let's let's just leave it there. We can, we can stop. You know what? Fair here. enough. That's that's fine with me. Um. Okay. 
Drinking bleach was pre-COVID. Okay, the coronavirus cure was injecting bleach. Okay, thank you for this for this clarification. Yeah. Um, the uh, don't come don't to us know. for what health advice. Do, what, what else do you want? What else do you want? What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> I do want. I do want to stick up for Godzilla twenty fourteen a little bit and and make the case that it is a very good film and that it does manage things quite well. Um, one of the things that movie does pretty well is perspective. Which I which I liked quite a lot. Like you are always rooted in a human perspective mm. until the very very end, right? When you get like some of these big shots of Godzilla in his sort of like fight scene. Almost all of the scenes are oriented kind of from like the ground up and these like how the humans are, you know, like dealing with it. Even as Godzilla is fighting in Honolulu or um, you know interacting with ships or the Muto is coming alive of age whatever whatever you want to say is is birthing out of its like shell in in japan which i think is neat and i think is cool um however i also think it's bad for this kind of movie because part of the, because i want to see i want to see the big i want to see the big nu- nuclear gecko fight okay yep. um and then the other thing that i thought was cool is that the movie does have some like general gen genuine tension around its plot like i think the characters are kind of uninteresting and um and all of the like oh i need to get home to san francisco to see my my family it's what important yeah like all that stuff is super dumb and and like uninteresting but the actual moment to moment of like godzilla interacting with like you know when he's in the airport and the power shuts off and he's taking care of the little kid that was actually like pretty good drama for that sequence right um or a similar thing is when they're on the train um and it's like foggy or whatever and then there's the part where the mudo shows up and the train is flaming by and like the the bridge like i actually think that sequence kind of works in and of itself even if like it is not super suited for this movie um just that image of like the flaming locomotive kind of coming out of the the mist was like that's like a neat good that's good filmmaking right i was gonna say there's some really great moments right like like um um on the ground when like the mudo does its um emp and like you see the pilot kind of parachute out of the fog and then you see like the jets um spinning into the into san francisco bay i thought was fucking fantastic i thought that was really cool looking um or or and the uh the uh, the bus on the on the bridge on the on the Golden Gate Bridge, I thought was 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 a, was a pretty good scene for the moment. Um, yeah, yep. even surprised me. It, there were straight, I was I fully expected the dri- bus driver to go like oh hell no nah, or something and like drive through drive off the bridge. But, uh, they, I they actually almost all, also saw, thought the same thing. Like there was like real genuine tension there, right? And and like I said, like I think it's in service to the sort of like the wrong thing, right? Like the 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 appeal of a kaiju movie is watching the big monster fight. It is yeah. not in the sort of horror, right? Like, yeah. the, in a certain sense, like this, 2014 this... Godzilla has more common with Cloverfield from 2008 yeah. than it does with, you know, Cloverfield, which is a true horror movie, right, about, like, the human people in the circumstance of this giant monster attack. That, people call that a kaiju movie. I don't think that's a kaiju movie. Um, it's, yeah. And, in fact, um, I would almost sort of say... I, this is sort of a hot take, but I just kind of came up with it. Stuff like Man of Steel... And uh, and Justice League and Batman versus Superman, right? Any of the very high end, like the Hulk versus Iron Man fight, any very like high end superhero fight, not like the low level stuff like 
Captain America versus the Winter Soldier, right? Those also are sort of effectively kaiju fights, right? Because right. part uh, of what makes them compelling is like the widespread sort of destruction and impact that their fighting takes, you know, like takes hold. And I think that um, that Godzilla 2014 sort of like rides, you know, that like. Oh, the other thing about Godzilla 2014 that I would say is the parachuting sequence is great, where they do the halo drop and they have those red things and they're you know going into. And that was the trailer for the movie, which was phenomenal, right? Sucks that it wasn't for a better movie. Um, But, I don't know. Yeah. Godzilla 2014 is is a little bit of a heartbreaker in that sense. I almost was going to call it the worst of these. Because, like I said, I remember liking Godzilla King of Monsters much better in the theater. And and so I was pretty prepared to make the case that, like, Godzilla 2014 was this, like, huge tragedy. But it ended up being, you know... Yeah, I think I think I, I buy what you're saying just like on on this kind of um Godzilla 2014 was uh, uh it needed to be more of a horror it either needed to be more of a horror movie or more of a kaiju movie and tried to split that baby too much. Like yeah. I think it could have worked as like a pure horror movie, right? Like if you really just held off on Godzilla until the very end. Um uh but like it it ended it failed there, whereas, like, Godzilla King of Monsters is just, like, a bad kaiju movie. Um, yeah, you could also... Ma- I think I could also make the case that it would be a better horror movie if Serizawa wasn't there. Because there Serizawa is there, who is basically this voice of, Oh, no, 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 Godzilla is, like, a good guy. But maybe yeah. without that framing, uh, you don't you don't come to that same conclusion, right? Godzilla pretty clearly, like, destroys Honolulu. I, I kind of had forgotten about that point where he's in the Honolulu airport and there's all this devastation. But, like, that gigantic tidal wave is... That's not the Mudo's fault. That is Godzilla's fault. Um, And I think in in a version where Serizawa isn't there constantly telling us that, oh, no, Godzilla's actually a real nice guy. You know, he just wants to help. Um, It would maybe also be better, even if it would make Godzilla a... More like more of a horror object than anything else. Yeah, or like re- rejigger him so it's a little bit different, right? Like, you know, like get it get it to the point where it's like, or like, you know, we're like letting them fight, like, like the let them fight line is, is iconic or whatever. Um, as pointed out to us in Godzilla King of Monsters, where they make a joke about it. Um, yeah. But but uh, I, I think I, th- I think I think you're right. I think this is what I'm getting at when I was like, you know, it's caught halfway between the two of them. Um, and it really wants to, it, it needs to kind of like pick a lane, uh, to make it really work. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Clearly they should do Godzilla versus Pacific Rim. Cause you're right. Actually, I did look into it and legendary pictures, uh, does Godzilla versus, uh, or legendary pictures did both Pacific Rim and, uh, Godzilla King of Monsters and also this movie. So. <laughs> yeah. the chat says you just want Godzilla to be the villain. Listen, I have heaped plenty of praise on on Godzilla. No, I, I think I agree. I think I agree with Ragnarok here, right? Like, like Godzilla is a force of nature and a force for nature in a lot of ways, right? Kind of like in like you know maybe the eco terrorists are right type of thing, right? Because mm. like that's like that is the whole plot of Godzilla, King of Monsters, right? Is like you know they want to bring balance back to you know the Earth, and you know that's flawed because Ghidorah isn't actually part of Earth; he's like an alien invader or something. Um, which is, you know, I think kind of hackneyed, but I guess gets the point across. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was yeah. one piece that I did like about Godzilla vs. Kong, was the that Godzilla, 
effectively is a bad guy for a lot of that movie, right? Because because he doesn't have any interaction with like the human characters, and he just like pretty mercilessly attacks like the convoy with Kong on it. Uh, yeah. Like, also, the Apex facility, which we're not supposed to know is evil, even though it's very clear it's evil. But, like, he yeah, doesn't have yeah, any like, regard for collateral damage. There's a big difference between the Navy sailing with Godzilla in tw- Godzilla 2014, as they get close to Honolulu, and the Navy getting absolutely trashed by Godzilla as he's coming to kill Kong in Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right, well, we're at a bet at our hour mark. Did you want to talk about anything else about this before we transfer into our weeks? No, everybody should watch Kong Skull Island. I that's, agree. That's it. it, it that's is all so you good. need to watch, yeah. <laughs> it's all you need to watch, that's true. <laughs> so how was, uh, how was your week? How was my week? Uh, you know, honestly, pretty good. So I've been playing a lot of Gears Tactics. I've told you about this, right? Yeah. Uh, which is the Gears of War XCOM game, which I was prepared to come in and say was quite good, but maybe it's not that good because it's it's ending pretty quickly. I'm pretty sure I'm almost at the end of the end of the game, which would be maybe I played through like 20 missions total, right? Where whereas if I compare XCOM, um, you know, I the 20 missions is like the the first bit of bit of the game basically um i actually think that was the the design of these two tactics games are really interested because they kind of echo their respective you know like XCOM being developed by firaxis is like much more of a strategy game and it has these super systems laid over top of it where you are doing things like research and stuff um where you're where you're building uh, like these items or whatever. Whereas Gears Tactics is has much more in common with what felt like kind of like a, the way an FPS, like the cover-based FPS, the chest-high shooters um, are. And, and I thought that that was really interesting, right? Like one of the things that sets Gears Tactics apart is there's only five classes, but uh, they each have a sort of uh, like a talent tree associated with them, but the talent tree starts in the center and then it like branches out to kind of for sort of like the opposite of like a, if you've ever seen like a, like a March Madness bracket, right? You know how it yeah. starts in these kind of quadrants yeah. and then ends in the middle. It's like the opposite of that, right? So each class has effectively four subclasses um, that you can do more with and you can kind of... Uh, create these very like specialized troops for whereas XCOM has um like yeah i'm so in the chat in the chat there aren't that many classes in XCOM that's true i'm thinking of XCOM War of the Chosen which adds three classes then there's like the robot class then there's i think five base classes so that's like nine um there's the psionics so that's like 10 i think it's 10 classes overall that you kind of you kind of have like access to but like those classes are much more sort of linear right you kind of have a right side of the tap like every time they rank up they get a new talent or whatever and you have the right side of the tree which are all sort of synergistic with one another and the and the left side of the tree which are all sort of synergistic with one another um in in gears tactics that hasn't been the case for me where um where each of like the each of the individual classes kinds of spirals out into these oh into these like subclasses in like kind of neat and interesting ways um 
which actually makes the in-game tactics of the game much different compared to some of my XCOM games from kind of like moment to like moment to moment. You also get three actions. In XCOM, you basically get two actions. You kind of get like move and shoot um, because you have a couple of like core actions. Um, whereas in Gears, you are... And this is, the, this is part of the thing that makes it feel a lot like a first-person shooter. You are... You have three moves or three actions and you can use any of them on movement, any of them on shooting, right? So you can like move, shoot, shoot, or shoot, move, shoot, or, you know, move, move, throw a grenade, that kind of thing. Um, and you can also execute downed enemies. So like if, um, if you get somebody low, there's a chance they will just be down. This is like a Gears of War thing, if you've ever played that game. And you can go and you can execute that guy. You just run up to him, you stomp his face into the ground. But the thing in this game is that when you execute a guy, all of your other guys in your squad get one new action, right? So actually, a lot of the tactics gameplay is really built around running like a sort of train on your turn to try and create these super crazy action economies where it's like you get a couple of guys down and then you start like moving like bam 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 and you're kind of like extending your turn forward if that makes sense and it almost sure. captures uh, maybe as close as a tactics game could to that feeling of like when you are really in the moment in the zone like with the with your adrenaline pumping um in a, in an fps right uh which i thought was which i thought was like kind of kind of neat and kind of interesting uh though i will say there's only four people that you can have on screen which is on one hand a little bit more dangerous than in xcom in xcom you can get up to six as sort of a reward for um updating your like upgrading your characters or whatever right like if you upgrade your uh, characters to a high enough level you can unlock a certain kind of research that will give you more kind of like squad slots or whatever um that that kind of system is not present in XCOM, but having four people like really does sort of hamper it feels like compared to how things work in XCOM. my ability to uh to like really lock down and sort of like dominate a turn anyway i don't know that's those those are those are my thoughts gears tactics is neat it maybe is too short for its own good but that's what I've been playing. Have you have you um have you played Phoenix Point at all? No, though I have heard Phoenix Point is the other because it's from the. I don't know if it's actually it's from, from the XX Long War people or. I thought it was from XXCOM. Okay, or maybe it's both. But yeah, it's supposed to be. I I have heard that it's very complex and very deep. Um, friend of the cast Monic is very into these types of games, and he thought Gears Tactics was a little too shallow for him, and he was into Phoenix Point for a hot minute. Um, so, you know, maybe that's the thing to check out next if you've got uh, the time and the, uh, the inclination. Um, on my side, the big thing I did this week was, I, well, I've been playing a ton of Slay the Spire just because it's super easy um, mm -hmm. to pick up on my phone. But I've, been, I've dug into Monster Hunter Rise a little bit, which has been fun. Um, you know, uh, checking out that hunting horn. Just like, you know, do dooting. You know, if you like dudes, you got to play the hunting horn. You just like, <laughs> roll around and playing stuff and there's a dog in this game you got a dog and a cat so you get to ride around um, i'm not super deep into wow. it i'm still just you know goofing around in it but you know it's it's classic monster hunter fun you know lots of systems to dig into if you want to but on this uh, on the surface it's just kind of like you know uh you know like uh beat somebody beat an animal with with the weapon until it dies um <laughs> uh uh 
and uh, you know it was funny. I was tell I was telling somebody, you know, I was saying, oh, I'm getting into, I'm playing Monster Hunter. And they're like, oh, it's like Monster Hunter, like one of these like kind of like social games. It sounds like it could be like. She was like, nope, you just you just take your weapon and you beat a monster to death with it, and then you use its body parts to make more weapons and more armor. Um, and there's like a lot of complexity in in kind of like building those weapons and building that armor and like you know kitting out your character properly. But at the end of the day, it's just you know it just kill things. It's, 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 you know, it's fun. It's, like, very visceral kind of, like... And this is neat because they've got these, like, little intro scenes for all the monsters that are, like... They're literally the, um... They're, uh... I forget. You might know. It's, like, the... It's got, like, the film grain over it, and it's, like, the... It got, like, the shamisen, and it's, like... It's got, like, a poem over the top of it about, like, you know, like... You know, about what the... What the animal is. It's, like, you know, like, uh... Yeah. Neither tie Or, you know, uh rabbit nor bear don't give in to despair or something like this This is a dumb little poem but like you know it's got this like um uh it's got it's got a little bit of style to it but it's fun it's fun it's monster hunter what else can i say about it um it's uh and you know it's it's a it's it's fun to 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 dick around with um fair enough i guess yeah. yeah Uh, I also ran a million mythics, but I, I like I don't need to tell I don't need to tell anybody else that it's funny how effortless these have become, at the the sort of like level and power that I've been like running them. Like I find 15s to be just like I don't want to say easy mode, but kind of easy mode. Um, one of the interesting things is that I've been running them on Gonder, who is my warlock, who is 10 eye levels under Baron, but, like, much worse itemized, right? Like, he doesn't have good trinkets or rings or anything. I just kind of, like, take the highest eye-level stuff and put it on him compared to Baron, where I'm I'm curating a lot of, like, crit haste gear because those are, like, the Arms Warrior stats. And, um... And I don't perform nearly as well on Baron as I do on Gondor, but it is funny to me that, uh... I've been able to be completing, you know, 15s and, and like, 14s and 15s on this undergeared, understated, like, warlock in the same in the same vein as my, you know, like, super well-optimized arms warrior, right? Uh, just because, like, I know the dungeons really well, and I have that, like, kind of understanding of, you know, of the mechanics and stuff like that. Also, Demonology Warlock is really dumb and super fun, uh, so that, that helps quite a lot. And also, just ranged is so much easier than melee, it feels like. Which, I kind of feel terrible saying, because I, I, obviously I'm a melee DPS or whatever, and I, I resist a lot of these popular narratives about WoW, right? And so, when people say, like, oh yeah, like, melee is garbage this expansion, uh, because there's so many punishing melee mechanics, of which there, you know, are, obviously. Um... I didn't want to almost. I almost didn't want to believe it, and then I played Gondor, and I was just like, "This is free. This is free as fuck, right?" Like compared to, uh, I just like take so much more damage on Baron than I ever do on Gondor because it's so. It's just so much easier to like dodge shit. Yeah, Lou in the chat is saying, "I will fight you on that forever." I'm sorry. I, I don't know. What the, I don't know what else to tell you. It's just like the state of the. It's just like the state of the world, the state of the game, right? Like so, certain fights. That I find so insanely stressful on melee are just the, the easiest thing on range because you have all this room for activities, right? <laughs> Compared to like, and the funny thing, so one of the interesting things about Mythic Plus that they changed between expansions was they got rid of a couple affixes and they added some more, right? So they added 
um, or so they got rid of the teeming affix, which just added a bunch of more trash in the dungeons. You had to pull more stuff. Um, they got rid of skittish, which decreased your tank's native threat by a lot. So you had a lot of people like pulling threat, like all the time. Um, and uh, and then they added three affixes. One of them is spiteful. A, a mob dies and a little ghost pops out and the ghost melees you for a lot. So you kind of have to run from the ghost or you have to CC it or you have to kill it. Um, they added storming, which creates little tornadoes at the feet of mobs. And those tornadoes like, like spin around in a circle. Um, and they added inspiring, which just like makes certain mobs immune to AoE. Two of those, spiteful and storming, are so much worse for melee than they are for ranged that it is like on like it is honestly i i'm kind of surprised they basically took two neutral affixes that don't actually you know don't actually deal like like don't actually favor one side or the other right and then added in these two affixes that are really punishing for melee players and honestly more punishing for melee players than like certain ranged affixes are for ranged players so like for instance the the sort of ranged version of storming you might say is volcanic right volcanic if you are not in melee with a mob you can get these little puddles under the ground that pop you up in the air the thing about storming though is that the storming tornadoes stick around right and they're moving constantly and you're spawning a bunch of them so you're like bobbing and weaving around all these all these fucking tornadoes in the ground the volcanic is just one and done it pops you up if you stand in it but you see it and you and you sidestep and that's it that's fine um which i just find i just find brutal uh so not to mention that there's just like so many like like melee hard affixes like not even not even just affixes it's also in the raid too right like sludge fist is very anti-melee yeah. um comparatively speaking I don't know. That's yeah. I feel like at some point, pro maybe when we get ahead of the curve, we can like do a break, like a, a rate of the of the raid fight by fight. Because we, oh, we that's were a on good Twitter idea, going actually. back and forth about uh, about the generals fight. Uh, um, which yeah, we, uh, I hate that fight. Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, I hate that fight, even though it's not bad. Like, or sorry, it's not hard. Sludgefist is harder than generals, and we struggle a lot more with Sludgefist than we do with generals. Mm. But but I find generals to be an immensely annoying fight. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. Just yeah, we'll get into. That. I think we should save that for a full cast because I, I agree. Okay, with that. I'm down for that, especially when we get ahead of the curve. I I like the idea of doing like a Castle Nathria. Uh, yeah, yeah, breakdown. Yeah. What we when we get, get ahead of the curve? Like, are you going to quit rating? Do you want to keep rating? What 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 are like? Um, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that uh, you know when the when the the guild drops to one night a week, I will drop to one night a week, and my Thursdays will be spent playing other things probably. Um, like, I will get back that time, essentially. Um, sure. um, I don't think I'll qu quit. Like, you know, it's still got my... It's it's, it's tentacles in me uh, enough that I uh, that I get back on and play every once in a while. Um, maybe I'll pick something else up. But I'll probably be on, like, you know, kind of dormant mode until at least 9.1 or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, next week is the 9.1 PTR, which I'm very excited to see, you know. But this is the longest that we have been with a launch patch in wow history i'm pretty sure mm. um which is actually kind of interesting because i think i would say that it is very high quality but it has in a certain sense sort of like overstayed its welcome um you know without getting a new sort of injection of uh of content 
from from a point one patch. Nor part of this, I think, is because the point one patch for nine point one is more stuff. It has like a lot more stuff in it than the point one patch for other patches. Um, because it has a new area for the maw. It has like this mega dungeon. It has the new raid, obviously, new Torghast wings and shit like that. So it just feels like there is a lot in nine point one. It almost feels like a point two patch compared to other point one patches, which are typically like you know the legion point one patch really didn't add that much to the game all things considered um it just sort of progressed the like the story from a different point and added in uh like that three boss small small raid yeah so just just out of curiosity um uh how like uh how or how, how far along are you on in your covenant upgrades because like i'm, I'm sorry this is that that would seem disturbing because i went through a couple thoughts but without vocalizing them but like i feel less like less obligated to play the game consistently which is usually what burns me out on the game like i'm usually mm -hmm. out by this point um and the only thing that i'm not hitting is like uh is or the only thing i have left to kind of really do is my upgrades and then after my upgrades i can use finally use my anima to buy the rewards like the the, the rewards that i crave um because I wait feel you want you want the rewards more than you want well i was like or i'm sorry you I want like, the upgrades more than you want the rewards i feel obligated to get the upgrades before i get the rewards right because they're like a game mechanic right like you know like i need to upgrade my queen's conservatory before i can go buy them out of course because you know that's that's what i have to do is like an optimal way to play the game right because like and you know that's like wrong but that's like my mind goblins so you know it's like i need to I keep guess playing i feel the same way though i like those i like the covenant systems and i feel like i'm getting a lot out of them like i'm gonna do my abomination world quests um so for the necrolords is the abomination factory and you create these individual abominations and each one gives you a weekly quest and the weekly quest doesn't do much it gives you gold and it gives you uh like like trade materials like herbs and fish and everything um but it and but i but i do it every week and i do it for the sole reason of there are so many of them and they each end in the same spot so it is that like uh feeling of turning in a million quests all at once do you know that feeling uh, have you ever yeah, had yeah. that <laughs> where like you're questing or something like you're leveling up or whatever like you're leveling your character and you just happen to have like uh oh, so many quests that are that are ending in a particular you know um in a particular location it just feels so good to turn in like 12 quests all at once um so it is only going for the the only reason I do the abomination weeklies is for that reason, um, and also kind of mildly just because it's like it's a good turn your brain off content. I I don't have a lot of that in in this version of WoW because I got so hard into Mythic Plus. But I, it used to be like the bulk of my time playing World of Warcraft was doing sort of just like mindless bullshit that I could zone out to while I'm listening to like podcasts and audiobooks. Um, and yeah. and I don't have that as much anymore because my core, the core way I play the game is by you know like like running mythics and you have to actually try you have to actually focus on yeah those. to be engaged um, yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. But I will say that um, I don't know it is interesting. There's 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 a lot of doom and gloom. I feel like there's just always doom and gloom in the WoW community. Like it'll never it'll it'll never go away. There's a lot of doom and gloom about 9.0 having lasted for so long, um, and sort of like burning people out. I feel like. In other patches, 
we would have failed to get ahead of the curve, which would have sucked. Yeah. Um, and this is one where we are actually getting it, and that feels, and that feels good. Yeah. No, I mean, and we're we're definitely gonna get it. Like, I don't know. I I, I don't think there's any chance that we're that we're not gonna get it. We're we're, we're close enough. Um. Although I, I you know, I I will tell you some, something that was interesting is is uh, as keen viewers might notice, I'm in a different room than I'm normally in. I um I visited my parents for the holiday, um, and so I'm playing on oh, my laptop. Buddy is casting this, which is why things look slightly different. We had some slight technical hiccups in the beginning. I'm playing off my laptop, and I brought my mouse and keyboard home so I could actually do it. But like, man, like it was you know I could feel my performance degrade, um on on like different fights. Like I just wasn't as crisp, and like there's just like not as much room to do things on on the screen. Sure. Um. Uh. And, like, you know, the big one was is during the Sardinathrius fight. Like, a couple times my, like, game just lagged because, like, there were too many graphics on screen for a thing without a dedicated graphics card. It's impressive that it mostly runs and works on this, so I'll give it that. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's, uh, man, I, I'm sure if I played with it enough I'd, I'd get used to it. But, like, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh... It's, it's it's interesting jumping between the two. It was also interesting being, like, how much I felt like I couldn't deal with. Like, I went and I exported all of my um, weak auras macros because I felt like I, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be able to, like, do acceptable levels of damage if I wasn't doing that. And then maybe I could have, but, like, you know, just, like, kind of, like, living with that information and trying to get away from it is just so tough um, for, like, at least a moment-to-moment fight things, right? Like, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, but, like, I don't think you can... I don't think you can raid without at least DBM um, or, you know, whatever what an equivalent so yeah yeah i have also one of the that was interesting is how much my raids my raid performance suffers when i have to do call outs i mean we had a very sloppy start to our thursday raid on stone legion generals um just taking a while to get everybody the kind of getting everybody into position but um one of the things that was true was that Merak, who is normally sort of a, like our i would guess like i would call him like our baseline shot caller right like he calls a lot of shots for uh mechanics that are that are upcoming and i was trying to step into that role right like i was trying to like look at my my bars and see when stuff was coming up and i could just like feel myself not doing any fucking damage on uh on the stone legion generals fight because i was like basically only paying attention to dbm and trying to you know trying to make the correct callouts which makes me feel a lot for sarian who is obviously the yeah. raid leader also doing those kinds of callouts because we make fun of him because he dies and pours and has really bad dps but like i think any of us would have really bad dps if we were trying to you know shot call at the same time i get yeah, so yeah. much i like really pump on sludge fist and i really pump on you know, like Dark Vein, because like those are fights where I can just zero in on my my rotation and every single global I can like make a very yeah. complex decision about. The, the DPS um, difference, but like my DPS on Sludge Fist is directly com directly correlated with how many times I get chained, right? Like if I'm not chained, oh, it's just like, you know, like it's like party time, right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that feels so... Yeah, like, that feels so good. I mean, Sludge Fist, like... I like that fight a lot, and I think that that fight is a lot of fun. But, like, man, it it feels really, like, brutally tuned. Uh, yeah. Because, like, we keep getting to the fourth... Uh, we're to the, to the wall, right? Where, like, he, he runs into the wall. Um, which just, like, is such a hard DPS check. It's funny, because, like, they... 
a long time ago, the Blizzard devs said that they wanted to get rid of DPS checks like that. They said that, um, you know, short and rage timers are not fun for the game. And that players should, with like a deep mechanical understanding of a fight, right, they should be able to just win, even with like not amazingly good numbers, right? Because like really the game is about understanding the fights more than it is about like performing a certain requisite level of DPS. And I guess that philosophy is out the fucking window because we have Slugfist. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's not too bad for like one fight. It's just it it also like lines up terribly with 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 us in particular, right? Like yeah, yeah, um, it's so punishing for us on on melee. Sure. Yeah, melee. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it'd be interesting to see if may- maybe maybe we'll be lucky. And we can pull we can pull some people from from the raid to talk about when we do our our. our uh, uh, or, or Castle Nathria review because like that, that that's you know I'm interesting I'd be interested to see what like you know like a shot caller's view of, of those kinds of things are because like yeah for sure know. uh to answer a question chat is he that bad on normal uh one of the interesting things about Sledge Fist is he has a very lethal mechanic um on nor- that goes all the way up right um where if you fail the mechanic both people die right two essentially two people get chained together and they have to like move together and do stuff together because if they get too far apart the chain shatters they both die normally in raid terms there would be a non-lethal version of that mechanic in sort of like lfr and like normal right if you shatter your chain maybe that's bad maybe it stuns you for five seconds it does a huge chunk of health right or something that kind of like along those lines but no it just it just fucking kills you to be clear we are talking about heroic sludge fist um because we are progressing on the heroics side of the raid at this point um but yeah and, uh, and then they nerfed him a little bit so maybe it wouldn't like we had tough we had problems on normal um but it was also with the tougher version of the mechanic um yeah and we true. pretty quickly got that down so um yeah they they we killed him before like we we progressed through the boss before they nerfed him uh which does feel good right to like to get it in before before the nerfs go out, right? That's like a, it's like a badge of honor sort of thing. Um, but even, you know, like week after week, you expect certain, certain bosses to really just become farm bosses, right? That you can just kill for, you know, for, for free, the same way that we would kill early bosses in other sorts of raids. Uh, and that just has not been the case. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think half of us burned our Vantis runes on Sludge Fist this week, just because like, Mm. you know, you know, that's what we needed to do to get past Sludge Fist. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Maybe we'll get there with him. But, you know. Uh. Uh, the last thing that I've been doing that I want to talk a little bit about is watching The Expanse. Have you ever heard of The Expanse? You talked about this last week. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Expanse is like Game of Thrones in space. And I'm hooked. I'm addicted. And yeah. maybe we should do an episode on it. Yeah, it is, no, uh, I... I need to catch uh, my, up on it at some point. This, this yeah. is the this is the you told me the Jeff Bezos story, right? That he like he like, he, he rescued got it so from sci-fi. Into it that he just rescued it from sci-fi. Like I absolutely understand why because one, it is a very expensive show, clearly really expensive, and two, it is like incredibly gripping television. Uh, not necessarily like as good television as something like you know like obviously Better Call Saul. I think is the best show on TV. Mindhunter. Um, Oh, we're gonna do is, nobody, uh, right? Which oh, is like we the, should do nobody. Which is a couple weeks for uh for for streaming. Um, you know the uh the what's uh no no I can't remember the actor's name, but it's uh, uh it's, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk does John Wick. Uh, mm-hmm. so 
I'm 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 actually super excited to see that. Um, just because I love Bob Odenkirk, uh, and I you know I love John Wick, so you know hopefully uh, hopefully it'll be good. Um, yeah. But yeah, sorry I interrupted you. Uh, you. And then uh, um, but but it is like so so like I don't think that it's amazing in the sense that like it's the best show on television, but it's just incredibly compelling, and uh, and I'm really hooked on sort of like the plots and this conspiracies and all the stuff that's going on. The characters are are really like great and. Uh, and it's cool, man. What a what a cool what a cool show. I've actually really been like missing a show like this for for a while, which we talked about last week. As I was like kind of like flailing through stuff like Band of Brothers or whatever. Um, yeah, because though uh, I always end up going back to YouTube because I don't know, it's just like easy to put on YouTube stuff. Like the Patrick yeah. H. Willems saga has continued into truly bonkers territory with the Dick Tracy movie from the 90s you know that movie? oh man yeah i do because it's they made it like the like the fucking stories right like in the comics it's like 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 they made you like you the might want to watch guys. the video he made it as sort of a response to the snyder cut in a way he was like he was like so everybody was watching you know Zack snyder's unfiltered you know uh bonkers four-hour epic uh the Snyder Cut, and I wanted to watch the most bonkers comic book movie, so I watched Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy. <laughs> Man, did, I did. Did you end up watching that uh, the the Finch uh, Jersey Shore thing? Because yes, I, 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 you... I watched the whole thing. I cannot believe it only has like seven hundred and fifty views. I was like, how did yeah, I can't even believe... find this? I can't believe that that dude only has like seven point five k followers because like he um. What was like he the, the one he did before that was what really so he he started doing FGC things on like yeah because he did God Darkside Phil and low and then, tier God um, okay yeah and then he did the, the the one that got me into him was the Nostalgia Critic one which is like yeah. its whole uh, a whole thing right because like you know Nostalgia Critic is like a whole uh, empire that like fell apart right like um and you know we still we're still feeling the reverberations of that to this day. As the various sub projects split out and have their own fallings out, right? Like, you know, I um, honestly thought his Nostalgia Critic video was maybe the best of any of them that I have ever watched, and I've seen a bunch of people cover it. Like, uh, the uh, Sarah Zed covered it, uh, Quentin Reviews covered it, and the interesting thing is, like, nobody really kind of dealt with it in in like a larger framework besides him, besides Finch, and and, and I think I really agree with his like core premise, which is like. And, and this is how I felt about, uh, I, I was talking to a friend, um, Sir Peng from The Raid, because he, he also, like, watches a lot of these people, right? Like, Lindsay Ellison, whoever else. And he was talking to me about Movie Bob. And I, I, I sort of confessed that I actually just hadn't been watching Movie Bob's content in a while, who was, like, the foundational guy 10 years ago, right? Like, he's the reason I got into these sorts of videos in the first place. But I think the medium has moved past him. And it has certainly moved past the nostalgia critic, right? right? Whereas other shows have either kept up with the times in a conversational sense, right? Like, I think this is Red Letter Media. I don't think Red Letter Media offers an insane amount of insight into any of these films. But they're just, they are fun to kind of hang out with in, in, a, in a parasocial sense. Right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas someone like Patrick H. Williams, Lindsay Ellis, Dan Olsen, like, these are people who upped their game, Right. They are bringing deeper, more analytical, more insightful analysis to any of their in intervening projects, right? Since kind of breaking out from 10 years ago, uh, the sort of the nostalgia critic uh, umbrella, right? Uh, and then there's people who I just kind of feel like, 
you know, they've sort of reached their limit, their upper bound, and this is where they're stuck, and that's okay, you know, like, sometimes the the media moves, moves beyond you. But I thought that that was really insightful from Finch, where he was kind of, like, talking about how the peculiar thing about the Nostalgia Critic is that he's still going, right? Is that he yeah. still has fans. And that outside of places where, like, the internet gets on the Nostalgia Critic's case and just lambasts him, like, with the wall, everybody got mad about his wall review or whatever... His fans just seem to be perfectly content with the the content that he's that he's put out, um, which I think is the most insightful analysis of the nostalgia critic I have ever seen. Yeah, no, that that sounds about right. Yeah, man, I don't remember if it was him that did it or somebody else that did it, but like, just like reviewing the low tier god Viscant whole showdown is like a trip. There's like a great. There's a great video that I should find again. It's just like, it's like, like the FGC, like, you know, a gentleman's club or something like that. Like, and it's just like all like the saltiest moments. And like, it's like a big part of that is like this showdown between Viscant and, uh, and low tier God. And it's just like so hilarious to watch. Cause it just is like a brief summary. Like low tier guard starts talking shit. And like low tier God is a buff, tall African-American dude. And Viscant is like, like looks like, like a sh- you know he, he looks like a dweeb right he's like this short white guy <laughs> like we're, like the, in this showdown like he's like wearing a polo and like like low tier god talks mad shit and Viscant just blows his fucking ass out right and it's and like it destroys low tier god like and it is so beautiful to watch because like uh like uh i'll i'll, I'll find the clip because like the the last moment of it is like you know uh, it's just Viscant getting his like last jab, and he's like, "There's gonna come a time when you forget about this, right? And you need to remember." It's just so perfect. It's so perfect. I'll I'll, I'll link the now video. Now I want to. It, it might be the Finch video because I didn't watch any of the his FGC stuff because I've seen the. Do you know the Frederick Knudsen down the rabbit hole? Oh, guy? down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! First of all, those videos. Mm. The Wings of Redemption one is like yeah an epoch. <laughs> yeah, like it is so deep and there's so much going on uh but he did one for dark side phil so i saw that i saw that finch covered dark side phil i was like oh i already i already know fucking dark side phil obviously i don't need to watch his video yeah. on it but you know dark side phil's another one of those kind of like eternal like you know like the like the the joke is that uh you know you know people come and go and like you know like I, like, you know, because Darkseid feels kind of, like, uh, notoriously a trash bag, but it's, like, you know, Darkseid, Dark, like, the, like, I'm a big Super be- super Best Friends fan, it's, like, Darkseid Phil outlasted the Super Best Friends, Darkseid Phil has outlasted, you know, everybody, when everybody thought he was, like, gonna fall off the edge at some point, you know, it's, uh, he's, he's another interesting kind of, like, you know, well, he's still going, right, and nothing can stop him. Yeah, um, the Down the Rabbit Hole series is also very good, which I will, which I will plug. I mean, like, it always covers weird-ass shit, yeah. like, from what it'll be like oh here's this you know like streamer and here's you know rajneesh param a you know cult that gave that like was a weapon i was like the only it's like the only bio attack like bioterrorist attack on united states soil is this cult that tried to infect a bunch of voters with uh, salmonella or something like that so that they could like steal an election kind of thing like so he covers like incredibly weird stuff yeah. You get, you get a couple of these, right? Like, um, uh, it's uh, the internet historian, like, on one of his – either on his main channel or his secondary channel, he, like – like, I think he's he's the one that did, like, the defense of the balloon boy, right? Like, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just kind of, like, 
this isn't your normal weird house, but it's still incredibly compelling, right? Like, um, yeah. uh, man, is, is, is that, is this, is this what we're, you know, discovering is like, this is like the future of, uh, of kind of this I, know, content, right? I, like, I also watched Ask a Mortician, which was uh, which I had never heard before, but it's actually a huge channel with a million subscribers. Mm. And I was like, what? And it is just, you know, this lady, she's a mortician, and she answers questions about corpses and funerals and stuff. But, like, you know, um, one of the things that she did, the thing that I saw of her was I was like, uh, have you, do you know what the Edmund Fitzgerald is? Uh... Sounds familiar, but not off the top of my head. It is a famous shipwreck in the Great Lakes, in Lake Superior, um, and uh, there's like there's like songs about it. It's like a big deal if you're if you like live in like Wisconsin or Michigan or something, right? Um, and it is a the Edmund Fitzgerald is a big like cargo ship that uh, that just famously sunk because the lake was super turbulent, and um, there was a while where I was kind of getting into like weird shipwreck stuff. Uh, cause I watched Titanic again. I actually watched Titanic like three times a couple of weeks ago. I just like, I found it very compelling for some reason. And I started like looking up all this like shipwreck shit. I was watching these real time, you know, these real time animations of the Titanic sinking or of other ships sinking. And that got me onto the Edmund Fitzgerald, which got me onto her channel where she was talking about how because of where the Great Lakes are and how cold they are, um, bodies don't float. They don't like float to the surface. They don't get like the same gases that they normally would and so the shipwrecks that are in lake, lake superior if people die in those shipwrecks their corpses are still probably down there um and they get kind of weirdly like mummified in sort of a like a like a waxy build-up um substance or whatever and so i got into like those videos like i just i i will sometimes fall down these these rabbit holes it's it's crazy <laughs> yeah i mean hey you know the the other big video for you know we um uh the tim rogers cyberpunk video is supposed to be out soon um unfortunately <gasps> he's had a lot of health problems that he's been talking about on his various twitter things but you know Whoa. we spent um you know we, we spent both of us spent at some point this year six hours watching a video about a, you know, a dating simulator i so, watched you know, Toki, the doki make me world twice actually so i spent 12 hours wow on it. wow yeah <laughs> Well, because I watched that one first, and then I went back and I watched the other ones, mm -hmm. and I realized that, like, he was making lots of callback references in the Tokimeki Memorial video that I wasn't realizing. Like, he was like, oh, when I talked about Doom or when I talked about whatever, I talked about it in this sort of way. So I wanted to go catch all those references, so. Yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> man, I'm actually really looking forward to the Cyberpunk, uh, the Cyberpunk one. Um, I, yeah, me too. I mean, I haven't even played Cyberpunk, which would be yeah, weird, because I... normally I play those, I try to play those games before I do a, uh, a like I watched the videos on him. The deep dive, yeah, yeah. But yeah. You know. Like Noah Caldwell Gervais. I always I always try and play the game before I watch like the Noah Caldwell Gervais videos, like the two hour long, like super, super deep uh explorations. Yeah. Yeah, I get I I don't think I think I think Tim Rogers, I don't know if I've played any of the games except for like I haven't I never played all the way through the original Doom. Um, and I, I haven't actually watched the Final Fantasy VII one yet, and I'm thinking I'm just going to watch it because I, I haven't played Final Fantasy VII yet, but I want to. Um, 
But yeah, there's uh, there's a whole lot of stuff there. But <laughs> the quality of Cyberpunk is highly dependent on the console you play it on, in, in that it sucks it if you sucks. don't play it on don't PC. Play it on PC. Yeah. Well, the good news is your boy has a pretty beefy, yeah, a pretty beefy PC. Yeah, I mean, like this is also like the Dunky thing, where you know Dunky always plays these games and then just shows off all like the bugs to to uh, laugh at them. Oh, hey, here's the thing: Have you played Outsiders? Outriders. Out, I'm sorry, Outriders. I played the demo for a bit, but uh, it ha- I have been on my laptop since it came out, um, and I will be playing okay. it when uh, when I get. I back think I am going to pick up Outriders. Uh, maybe yeah. maybe in a couple of weeks. It's on it's on Game um, Pass. So if you do the Game Pass yeah. thing. Um, oh shit! I actually think I just have Game Pass. Yeah. Um, I got a bunch of also of Game yeah. Pass for free through my job, and I think I had to edit like I had to add my credit card. This is how they get you. I had to add my credit card information, so I think it's just been auto renewing this whole time. <laughs> So, a couple things there. One, I think EA Play is included in Game Pass now. Um, wow. Um, and two, something that I figured out is, um, uh, so Newegg had a deal on Xbox Live Gold, and I thought it said Xbox Game Pass. So, I'm like, oh, I'll buy this. Like, cause it was a really good deal for Xbox Game Pass. It was like $50 for the year, which is like $10 off $10 off a, a, an Xbox Live subscription for the year. Um, if you put that in to your account, it will convert it at a 1 to uh, 3 three ratio one to four whatever equals out to um it will convert it for you to a xbox game pass subscription so like i got four months of xbox game pass for ten dollars off so you know if you see a deal for xbox live gold you can just use that for uh for like a prepaid card you can use that and it'll apply to your game pass and it'll convert it down for you which is super nice so yeah we're to the wise out there but uh we are over time so we should probably wrap this up All right, well, if you'd like to tell us what you thought about any of the things we talked about on this podcast um, or anything else that's on your mind, you can email us at subdurbsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subdurbsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subdurbsplaygames where these these podcasts go out live. Um, uh, Follow us and rate us on wherever you can find podcasts. Um, uh, Follow us on social media. All the links will be in the descriptions of the various places wherever you watch this. Um, I think that's everything I have. But do you have anything else you want to promote? Uh, I have nothing. Thing. Do I have anything to promote? Well, Dark Side Detective is coming out next week. The Dark Side Detective, A Fumble in the Dark, comes out next week, which is going to be a bigger deal, obviously, next week. Oh, also, the Akapar movie night is this Friday, which we're probably doing Roger Rabbit, but I haven't Ooh. actually figured out if that's actually Who what we're doing. Roger so. Rabbit? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are we are doing a watch party on the Akapar Games Discord, discord.gg slash Games at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. If you want to tune in, and uh, I don't know. I, people seem to love these movies just as a Friday end of your work day. Just like, mm, let's just watch a movie together thing. So sounds good let's to me. I'll go to the lobby. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.